0: Crazy high, right? How are you today? <clears throat> yeah, you good? Sorry, right. come on, you good. You may, you may have recognized that song that I walked up to, Loving You. Um, it's a uh, song that was written by Minnie Riperton, along with her, hu- there she is pictured, They're classic 70s, right, that's great. Along with her husband, Richard Rudolph. It was produced by Stevie Wonder, it was released in the year 1975. Same year that the greatest movie of all time, Jaws, came out. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. It was just a freebie how much I like Jaws. Anyway, so you might know this song. You might remember it from when it came out. Some of you might. Because it features some of the highest notes ever sung by a human being. It's true. Minnie had a five-octave range. You could sing in what's known as the whistle register, which is higher, much higher than even falsetto. But maybe you weren't listening to music back in the 70s. Maybe you weren't even alive in the 70s. Maybe you weren't even close to alive in the middle 70s. But you might know the song still from Burger King commercials. Maybe movie soundtracks like uh, Bridget Jones' Edge of Reason or Megamind by Dreamworks. Or maybe it was even featured, maybe you know it from a 2008 episode of The Simpsons. Uh, Yeah, it's true, it was on there. Minnie was quite successful. She was a backup singer for Etta James, Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, and Muddy Waters, but certainly reached the apex of her career when her song, "Loving You, went and shot all the way to number one in 1975. But she, unfortunately, became a one-hit wonder. Uh, In January 1976, Minnie was tragically diagnosed with breast cancer, and she succumbed to the disease in July of 1979 at just 31 years of age. Now, her daughter who was named Maya, was only six years old when her mother died. Now, you might know Minnie's daughter. Her name is Maya Rudolph. She's pictured here. She's from Saturday Night Live, Bridesmaids, or maybe even the Amazon series Forever you might know her from. And many of you are probably like, I had no idea there was a connection. There was indeed. And in fact, before Loving You was released as a pop love song in the 70s, the song was actually intended and originated as a lullaby that Minnie Riperton would sing to her infant daughter, Maya when she put her to bed. In fact, at the end of the song, represents specifically references her daughter. You can hear her saying over and over again, Maya, 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 as you can listen to it just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, I always thought she was just saying, Maya, oh Maya, but apparently, yeah. <laughs> She's saying Maya Maya, which is Maya Rudolph, her daughter. Uh, and once I heard Maya Rudolph tell this story, I heard Maya Rudolph give an account of this story. i got to tell you, I've not been able to hear that song the same way since. Like it's totally changed the way I view that song. It's totally changed how I hear it, uh, the context in which I hear it and everything. And it's kind of amazing how that can be, isn't it? How, how we can become so connected to something once we, once we know a little bit of the backstory. Once we just know a little bit of contextual background into something, we can become instantly connected to it in a new way. Well, this is true, of course, with all sorts of arts. It's true of like literature, maybe an art sculpture, maybe a poem or a song, but it certainly is also true of the scriptures. It's incredible how just a little bit of context can completely change our relationship with a verse or a chapter or a book of the Bible. Uh, In fact, especially when that book, for example, is a personal letter that was written from one person to another person and it's only one page long. And so it's only fitting on this day as we wrap up our One Hit wonder series where we're examining how one page of scripture can certainly change your life. I want to share such a letter with you. A one page of scripture that's indeed a life changer. And I'm going to read the book in its entirety right now very quickly to you. It's 25 verses. Here we go. Are you ready? Paul, who's the author of the book, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, which are God's holy people. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might take him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner... Welcome him him as you would welcome me, and if he's done anything, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the entire book of the Bible. Now, as I've read that, uh, if I were to ask you, just on that one read, if I were to say, isn't that incredible? Right? Like, isn't isn't he wonder why this is in the Bible, and why this is so important? Just from that one read, my guess is that for many of you, if you were being honest, with no context, you would probably be like, no, not really. I mean, there's some stuff that makes me curious. There's a few high notes in there. There's a little callback to the Minnie Ripperton thing, by the way. Never mind. <laughs> Army of one, Rob, keep going. Okay. So, so maybe you didn't have your breath taken away by this letter. You know, maybe this was the first time you've even come across it. Or, or maybe for some of you, you, probably the first time you realize there's a book called Philemon that's even included in the Bible. I get it. Philemon do- doesn't get a lot of airplay in our culture. In fact, even a couple of members of our arts team approached somebody on our teaching team this week and said, we heard you're teaching about filet mignon. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's Philemon. I'm glad that joke landed. It was Kenny Green's joke. If it didn't land, I was going to blame him, but I should credit him as well. He's our <laughs> campus pastor at Central. So anyway... Let's get better acquainted with this letter today, shall we? Let's get a little backdrop, a little context, a little backstory. It's written by a first century church planner named Paul, who many know as the Apostle Paul, who once, by the way, <clears throat> had followers of Jesus persecuted and killed for breaking the religious law or the Roman law. He used his excuse to persecute and kill Christians. Now he's a follower of Jesus himself. He travels the entire Roman Empire telling everyone about Jesus. I mean, you can't shut him up about it. And people cry, right? I mean, they, they, they threaten him. They persecute him. They threaten to kill him. They imprison him. He will not be silenced. And so now Paul, this very Paul, writes this letter to a guy named Philemon about a guy named Onesimus. So a little context. Philemon, well, he's a wealthy landowner from a small town of Colossae. Now, sometime in some place in history, he meets Paul. Though we're not entirely sure where, Philemon probably met Paul when Paul was ministering at Ephesus for three years, when he spent three years there, which is 140 miles away from Colossae. Here's what happens, though, as discussed. Paul immediately tells Philemon the good news about Jesus, and Philemon responds and gives his life to Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus himself. And Philemon was so excited about his newfound faith that when he returned to Colossae, he immediately started a new church meeting in his own home. He started his own house church, right? So we can reasonably assume, by the way, that Philemon had some wealth, some some high-level wealth. One, he had a home large enough to house a pretty prominent church in Colossae, a pretty prominent house church. And again, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, churches met exclusively in homes till the 4th century. But also... Philemon was a Roman patriarch who had many slaves. Now here's the thing, slavery was rampant in the first century. And this letter would become, it would become a, tip, a ticking time bomb that was written by Paul. It would eventually go off and lead followers of Jesus to become advocates for abolishing slavery of all kinds for many generations. But There's something you should know about the slavery that's mentioned in the New Testament. It's not exactly the same as the African slave trade that so deeply affected our country family separated and kidnapped, taken hostage, put on a boat, sent across an ocean where they knew no one, and brutally, brutally, brutally mistreated. In our culture, it's hard not to think of that when you hear the word slave. But you should know much of the Roman Empire was enslaved as what's called bond servants. And in those days, while it wasn't race driven specifically, it should also be noted that racism and classism certainly existed in these days rampant levels. And here's what we find. We find Paul advocating for a subversive undoing of an institution widely accepted and never really questioned in its cultural context. It should also be noted that as a result of this letter, many church leaders advocated for the end of the slave trades that so tragically consumed much of the Western world and really uh, troubled our nation and its origin state. In fact, William Wilberforce of England became a follower of Jesus and immediately became anti-slavery. And after becoming a follower of Jesus, he was sent a letter from John Wesley, a pastor friend, in the year 1791, and it read this way: Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, opposing slavery, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils, because it is prolifically evil. But God, if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. Till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. Just to be clear, anyone who uses or has used the Bible to promote racism or slavery, which many have done, they have manipulated the true meaning of the scriptures for their own evil intentions. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. They've not actually looked at the words that are written, the context with which these words are written, the context of which these words are turned out. It should also be noted that to this very day, sometimes we think of slavery as something behind us. It's very much not that. It should be noted that many church leaders and Christians continue to this very day to fight the horrific realities of current and modern slavery, perhaps better known to you as human trafficking. It's a despicable and ugly reality in the modern age. We have people on the front lines of it right here at Gateway that are fighting against it, I should say. (laughs) That's one of the reasons that this letter is so powerful. That in a cultural context where slavery is just rampant, it's commonplace and and hardly questioned at all, Paul advocates for freedom on another level entirely. And so again, back to Philemon, this wealthy landowner who had many people, family and bond servants alike living in his home. And one of those was a guy named Onesimus. So a little bit about Onesimus. Who's Onesimus? He's, a, he's working as a slave, a bond servant in Philemon's home, Onesimus decides to change his condition. Believe it or not, he decides, I don't like living as a slave, hard to blame him, right? He decides to take matters into his own hands, so he decides, I am going to leave the country and I'm going to escape to the big city, right? But how, how, how to fund such a trip, right? So this is what he does, one day when his master is away, when Philemon's out. Onesimus goes into the house, robs his master, and flees for most likely Rome, right? Now, Rome was 1,700 miles away. It's the capital city. It was said in those days that all roads lead to Rome. It's a great and thriving city full of strangers at its city gates. It's a perfect place for a runaway slave to kind of hide in anonymity. I'd imagine Onesimus probably thought if he could just get to Rome, then he could hide his wealth and hide his crimes in the anonymity of the large city crowd. And he got there, and I'm sure he probably enjoyed life for a while, all the big trappings, all the trappings that a big city offers a young man from a rural town. We don't know how other than by God's provision, but he, he, basically he meets Paul in prison. Perhaps Onesimus himself got himself in trouble with the law and ended up in prison in Rome. He just sought out Paul for help, hearing that he's a person that is very helpful to others. But he meets Paul in a Roman prison, and if you've, you know, heard anything I've said about Paul so far, if you know anything about Paul or read the New Testament letters for yourself, then you probably know what happens when Paul meets Onesimus. Paul tells Onesimus the amazing message of Jesus, and Onesimus responds, and he becomes a follower of Jesus, and from that moment on, Onesimus' life is forever changed. And that's one of the most amazing things about what is called the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, is that it appeals to all kinds of people, from all kinds of backgrounds, like for example, the same message that appealed to Philemon, the slave owner, appealed to Onesimus, the slave. The same message that appeals to a scholar, you know, at a a, a prominent first university also appeals to a farmer struggling in the third world country. The same message that appeals to a woman who drowns her sorrows in West Texas, you know, in a bottle, a fifth of Jack Daniels in the corner of her living room, also appeals to the woman who's slinging drinks at the hottest nightclub in Los Angeles. It's the same thing. It appeals to the same wide spectrum of people because inside of every human being there is this hole and it's only filled with that type of sacrificial love that Jesus gave humanity. It's only filled by Jesus himself, the love of Christ. Underneath the skin where we all have secrets and we all, you know, that we haven't told another person, maybe under the skin where we deal with the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of this world that we find ourselves living in, there's, there's where the gospel, the good news, the, good me- the message of Jesus does its best work, and that's where it starts to work in Onesimus. See, Onesimus had gone to Rome with all all his problems and his secrets in tow, and and quickly his problems began to grow. But after being transformed by the message of Jesus, he gets to become a part of an incredible solution. He begins to care for Paul in prison. In turn, Paul begins to mentor Onesimus, and he strengthens Onesimus' faith as a new disciple of Jesus. They developed a closeness... That was, that, was, that was parallel to a father and son, a familial relationship, often described in the scriptures of people who brought other people to faith, like a spiritual parent, Paul describes it. So I can only imagine one day Onesimus having a conversation with Paul, and it had to come up at some point, like, right? Like, how did you get here? Like, how did you even get to the big city of Rome? Like, what brought you here? You know, how did you finance such an amazing trip if you're from Colosse, You know, uh, and he probably mentioned how he financed the trip to Rome with money he had stolen. And I'm sure Paul was like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? Money you had stolen, right? Because Paul would have been like, hey, Grace, we have grace, but it doesn't, it's not licensed to sin, right? And what is this that you need to make right? Like, like is there something here that we need to talk about? No, Anesimus probably mentioned his master's name, Philemon, and Paul was probably like, well, Philemon, hmm. Well, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. Anesimus was probably like, wait, you, you, you know Philemon? Yeah, I know him. I brought him to faith too pretty incredible. Onesimus was probably like right away like, look, Paul, I know where you're going to go with this. And I'd love to go back and make this right. Really? No, I know. I should. But you know, the Roman law, the government says that if a slave steals from their owner and runs away, it's a capital offense. And it was. So again, I'd love to go back. I'd like to make this all right. But when it comes to being like arrested and crucified for this... Not sure I'm up for that. Surely Paul would probably say to Onesimus, hey, as a guy who's found new faith, as a new follower in Jesus, you, you know what you got to do on you got to make this right. You have a new master, Jesus. And even if it doesn't work out, you'll be okay. Most people say that sounds kind of trite. You hear that from Paul, who's currently in prison for his faith? It's kind of hard to ignore, Right? Even if it doesn't work out in your favor, you're going to be okay. Even if you have to suffer in chains, you know you're going to inherit something that, man, is going to be unbelievable. It's going to be—you're going to get the better end of the deal. But Paul surely said, "But I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Onesimus. I'm going to—I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a personal letter to Philemon on your behalf. And here's the thing: you need to do. You need to give it to Philemon as soon as you see him. Like first thing when you see him. And don't worry, Onesimus. Don't worry." I think Philemon will, once he reads the letter, I think it's going to be okay. And again, you have a new master in Jesus, even if it doesn't work out. And thus, we have this letter, this one-page wonder, one single page of Scripture known as the book of Philemon. Can you imagine the scene when Onesimus must have traveled all those miles back to Colossae? And maybe he's on, like, a long, dusty road coming up to the house. You can see Philemon's house in the distance, and maybe he's approaching. And Philemon's maybe sitting on the porch with a pipe and tea, whatever they did. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It's Sitting with his wife, like, mm, who is that there? You know, I don't know. Maybe. And his wife's like, mm, I don't know. Who is? Oh, my gosh. Is that Onesimus, the one who stole and took everything from us? And Philemon would be like, no, girl, come on. I mean, you know, again, I don't know, maybe, you know, you weren't there either. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but Philemon surely would have been like, not a chance. Right? There's no way this guy would ever have the nerve to come back here after what he's done, right? But as Onesimus gets a little closer, they would realize, yeah. It is indeed him, and surely Onesimus would be like, Philemon, Philemon, it's Onesimus, it's me. Yes, yes, it's me. Now I know that I'm the last person you'd expect to see here, and I'm sure you're furious with me at how I left, but before you do anything, I need you to read this letter, please. I'm not going to run away again, please just read this. And surely Philemon would have been like, one eye on Onesimus, one eye on the letter, right? Like, what's going on here? I mean, imagine, like, yay. hey. What, what letter? What are you talking about? What are you, you're, you're the guy who stole from us and ran. So with one eye on Onesimus, one eye on the letter, Philemon starts reading these words. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Philemon would have been like, Paul? Wait, what? You've seen Paul? You know Paul? Is Paul in jail again? Onesimus, Yeah. Yeah, I left him uh, there before I came back here to Colossae. Uh I don't know if you've heard, but they locked him up in Jerusalem and he pled his case before Caesar. And now he's in a prison in Rome. He would continue the letter to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Apphia was believed to be Philemon's wife, probably now on the porch dropping her tea like, oh, what is going on, you know? I don't know. Again, you weren't there either. (laughs) So, Archippus Archie here is believed to be their son, and according to the book of Colossians, found in 417, probably a pastor in their house church. Paul continues, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, God's holy people, right? I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ kind of flexing that muscle, right? Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul here exhorting and encouraging Philemon because a little buttering up never hurts, right? A little grease into the palm never hurts when you're about to make a big ask and a big ask he is about to make. He continues, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you what you ought to do. Paul basically pulling ranks, saying, I'm the one who led you to Christ, I could easily just tell you, you know what you need to do. But he says, I appeal to you on the basis of love. A completely transcendent idea here. I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, who I led to Christ while in prison. Philemon would probably be like, Paul, Paul? wait, wait, wait. Paul seems to think you're some kind of changed man. Right? He seems to think you've become a follower of Jesus, but I'm no sucker, right? He's probably thinking, like, I'm going to make sure Paul knows what you did to me before, before I, uh, before I you know, make any grand choices here. Paul continues, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. This is a really clever play on words by Paul. The name Onesimus means beneficial or useful, Paul is literally saying, the guy, this guy you knew before, and he didn't live up to his name. But the guy standing in front of you now, he's an entirely different person. He's a new creation. I want to take a time out here just real quick and talk to you about something. About 10 years ago, uh, a buddy of mine and I, a buddy of mine named Vince Antonucci, and I, we planted a church together in Las Vegas called Verve. Uh, many of you know Vince. He's come here a couple of times. Uh, Gateway was a partner church of ours. And donated financially to to Verb Starting, and I wanna say thank you very much for that because I really enjoyed eating while I was in Vegas and so did my family. Um, And so we we were ministering to people in Las Vegas and about the first year we were there, we were what's called a core team building phase and we were really meeting people. I mean, very, very far from God, we were meeting people and we were introducing them. We were talking about Jesus to them and the message of Jesus and a lot of them began to respond. And in one case in particular, this happened in many cases, but there's one case in particular of a young woman who had been in Vegas for several years. She had been a stripper for the last several years and was doing quite well financially. She comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus. She, she surrenders her life to Jesus. And we began to mentor her in the faith. And, and as, at some point she comes and she says, I feel like there are things that I've done previously that I need to make right. You see, I, I ran. You know, I have children. We say, oh, you have children? Well, how many children you have? She had three children. She had three. Yeah, she had three kids. And we said, well, "Where are these children?" Well, they're they're back in Utah with my parents. Oh, great. Are they doing okay? Have you heard from them? No. I left them on a doorstep on my parents' doorstep with a note when I ran for Vegas. I haven't talked to my parents in years. They don't even know I'm here. It's tragic, right? And we began to talk to her, and she's like, I feel like, you know, this, this, the Holy Spirit now living in her, she started to feel convicted of this idea that I, I think I need to make some things right. And we said, yeah, we, we agree. You probably do. And she said, but I can't go back. They'll never accept me. They'll never have me back. I've hurt them too much. You know, I grew up in church, and I rejected all this, but now I see it, But they'll never believe me. They'll say, we've seen this before, and I've, I've conned them so many times, and And so kind of with this letter almost as a backdrop, we said, well, how about if we wrote to your parents, you know, a character reference on your behalf? She said, would you do that? And kind of with this backdrop, now her parents did not know us the way that Paul knew Philemon and Philemon knew Paul, but we wrote on behalf of this young girl. She's had a transformative experience with Jesus here in Las Vegas. She's begun to be mentored in faith and the Holy Spirit has, has, has just worked in her life in such a way that she wants to return home, make this right. She wants to be a mother to her children again. And off we sent her with the letter and her parents did receive her and she now parents those children back in Utah where she was from. It's amazing. <laughs> so I've, I've, seen, I've seen this stuff up close, what God can do in these amazing moments in life. And when Paul writes these next words, they're pretty incredible. This is what he's saying to Philemon. I am sending him, who is my very heart. Man, this, this, this person is attached to my very heart. I'm sending him back to you. I would, like to, I would like to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for, with the gospel, for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do may be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul says, not as a slave who hurt you or wronged you in some way that injured your pride. Don't receive him back as someone that you probably who probably felt you injured them. Remember, they were enslaved to you. He probably feels very nervous as well. But as, as you would welcome me, your friend who led you to Jesus, remember. Then he says this amazing statement. This is an incredible statement, especially when you consider who's making this statement. He says this, If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And there it is. Paul knew what he had done. And Philemon, or Philemon knew what Onesimus had done too. And Paul's saying, Philemon, take whatever he's stolen from you, whatever you feel he owes you, put it on my account. He continues, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. So you know, charge it to me. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you. Knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me. Because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, Epaphras my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, send you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace... Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Paul is saying whatever he's done wrong, whatever debt he's owed you as his master, charge it to me and I'll pay it. And, and you see the power of this, of this explosive message from Paul to Philemon. Paul is literally illustrating the gospel because Paul is saying, Paul's saying, I will take on the debt of Onesimus. The, 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 the debt that Onesimus cannot pay, I will take it on. Because remember, Philemon, that's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for you. And that's what Jesus did for Onesimus. He took on a debt that we couldn't pay. And in response to that kind of thing, like, I, 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 I was relieved a debt I could not pay. I want to be the type of person who will relieve debts that cannot be paid on behalf of others. I have no business with. It's not my problem, most people would say. He's taken on the debt of sin Jesus had. He's reminding him, and he's paid it for all those who say yes to him. He's done this for all of humanity. You see, you and I, right today, here today, we owe a debt to God, to his holiness. A debt we can't pay. But on the cross, Jesus paid what we could not. When we say yes, we're set free. We are no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin, to circumstances, to our past. We're not slaves to fear or anything else, even if it doesn't work out. Ultimately, it's going to be okay. And just as Philemon is to look upon Onesimus as if he were Paul, we're reminded that when God the Father looks at us, what he sees is Christ. He doesn't see us for our failures. What he does is he sees his son. Because anyone who says yes to Jesus and puts their trust and confidence in him, you're forgiven. And I mean fully, finally, freely forgiven. And you're accepted in God's beloved family. And all that God the Father will do for his own son, he'll do for you, he'll give you his inheritance. So this letter to Philemon is a powerful, explosive message that reminds us, and I hope you will never hear it the same way again. It reminds us we're not defined by our socioeconomics or where culture would place us in a hierarchy. We aren't defined by the worst decisions that we make or have ever made. We're defined solely by who we are in Christ and the becoming of who he's created us to be. This book of the Bible called Philemon it ends in a cliffhanger. You should know that. Because we're never actually biblically told what happens. We're never told what happened after Philemon read these words. We don't actually know. Did he receive Onesimus back? Did he reject him? Did he have him? Reserve? We're never told. We're let, we're led, we can piece them together and some well-placed theories, but we're never actually told what happened. And some might be like, oh, it's maddening what happened? Like what happened to Onesimus? What happened with Philemon? Yeah. But I think the better question is, what happens now? I mean, the much more intriguing question to me is, what happens to you when you know that this is possible? Because think about this. I want you to really consider, when you learn and are reminded that Paul, a one-time lover of the law, a one-time, who became a, you know, this one who became, uh, Before becoming a follower of Jesus, he persecutes and kills those who follow and who break any law, any religious law or any Roman law, he has them done away with. And now he's so intimately connected to Jesus and to Jesus' amazing grace that he can stand as a giver of grace in a most amazing way. He can literally live the gospel. He now stands in the gap on behalf of Christians when they overtly have broken laws that could have them killed. He stands in the gap for them, modeling the gospel and its promotion rather than trying to snuff it out. And I think that's the very type of life change we're all longing for, right? Talk about a 180. It's incredible. So what do you do with that? As we wrap this series up, what do you do with this one page of scripture that's explosively powerful? It brings all kinds of new potential realities to life. Maybe it's the first time you accept it. Maybe it's the first time you accept the grace of Jesus in your own life. Or maybe you just recognize that you've received this grace and you need to be a better extender of it. I don't know. Because many of you have been delivered. Now you can deliver on behalf of others. Can I pray for us? God, we're so grateful for the power of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. So beautifully illustrated here by Paul and the, very, the way, very way he lived his life, the 180 turnaround he had in his life. And thank you for this, this very real story of a, a slave owner and a slave and, the, and just what happens when humans are just so mixed up. And how you can cut through it all, God, and draw us near to you. God, that we can be receivers of your grace, but we can be extenders of it too. I pray that in these moments together we'd celebrate that we don't have to be slaves any longer. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus.